with thankfulness as we consider your generosity and goodness to us in so many ways. We are thankful that you have made us your children by the blood of the one who has conquered the Lamb. We thank you for how you provide and care for our needs according to your riches and glory. And we give now back to you from what you have given to us. Lord, as cheerful givers, would you take and use these things to accomplish all your good means and purposes according to your will? And would you make us continually grateful and continually giving? Give us eyes to see the opportunities around us to give of ourselves to others that we might shine the light of Christ, speak of the hope that is in us, and testify to your goodness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to the back of your Bible. It's easy to find today. It's the last page. Revelation 22. As we jump in to Revelation 20... Well, let's read the text. I'll let you sit down before I get going because... I'm ready to get going. Let's look at the text. Revelation 22. This is God's word. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one For what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. 
I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that this morning as we approach it, that you, by your spirit, would speak to our hearts to encourage us with great hope that the future is certain, that you hold all matters in your hands, that you are at work, that you will accomplish all of your purposes. We long for your return. Until that time, would you cause us to remain steadfast, keeping our eyes fixed on the Lamb who has conquered. We pray all these things in his matchless name. Amen. Please be seated. This is the final sermon in the series of Revelation for those who haven't been with us. And uh, my hope is that you have a little bit better grasp on the book of Revelation. I hope you're... I hope you're not more confused by it than you were when we started. Uh, I know that for me, personally, it's been incredibly helpful to work through this book, to wrestle through these things, and I hope that it has been for you as well. Uh, If you want to go deeper, I just want to mention at the outset, there are some books on the book table, and there's there's the one on the millenniums. Uh, If you want to unpack those, if that's kind of where you zero in, what, what are the different views Premillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. That book unfolds those things to you, and that could be helpful. If you uh, have been experienced or grew up in a dispensational mindset and, and, and were presented with that, and you're still trying to weed through some of, uh, uh, walk through some of those weeds or understand some of the distinctions that we make between our view and that view, there is a book on the table. It's out of print, I think. It's why it's so hard to find. I, I was able to find three copies of it. It's there. That book was just immensely helpful for me. It's, it's accessible. It's easily uh, uh, readable. It's, um, uh, it's just really practical. It kinda, it's it's ground-level reading for, for what uh, uh, those of us who grew up in that um, kind of wade through. So those, those books I would commend to you as helpful to you. There's also a new Advent book out there as well if you want to be encouraged through the Advent season by Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, I promote those to you as resources that there's, this is not a money-making venture. The prices on there are the prices that we paid for them, so I don't want that to seem like we're peddling things from the pulpit today. Those are there to help you in your walk in faith. As we consider the book of Revelation one of the things that we do when we think of Revelation is we, we look backwards. We look at what we've seen. We look at what the churches who received this, how they received it, how they heard it. We remember that the book itself is a letter written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. It was written not only to them, but it's also to us as well, the church throughout this age. And the letter was written to encourage and to give hope to these who were struggling. They were facing persecution. They were struggling for their faith. And the hope is that they might and we might persevere in humble reliance upon our Savior until the end, that we might not give up. That's that's the hope. The letter also describes the powers of Satan. 
that have been at work throughout this age. Uh, We see the evidence of this through the spirit of Babylon and all that she represents. We know that this will culminate in the end with the unleashing of the beast and the final release of Satan and his full-on assault of Christ's church. But ultimately, this letter, the book of Revelation, is a message of Christ as conqueror. He has conquered and he will return victoriously to put an end to sin, to Satan, and to death forever. When we look at Revelation, we also think of our own day, our own time, how it speaks to us in the moment of our own experience. Again, we might think of the spirit of Babylon, how we see it at work in our own day, how the world seems to oppose Christ's church, even bring persecution against the church, how the world opposes the truth, and how there is this continual allurement, even to us as believers, to walk in the ways of the world and how we must resist that. We're called again and again to remain steadfast, holding on to Jesus, the sure anchor of our soul. And we recognize the battle that we're all in. None of us escapes this. None of us is immune to it. Enlistment is not optional. We are all in a battle each and every day of our lives. And it is a battle that challenges us with the question, who will be our shepherd? And we look forward. Revelation is about looking forward as well, isn't it? It's telling us what is to come and specifically the imminent return of Jesus. I think it is timely that we're finishing up Revelation just in time to come into Advent season, because at Advent, one of the things that we reflect on is the waiting, the waiting of God's people. For years and years and years, they waited for the coming of the Messiah. We all know what it means to wait. Few of us, if any, like to wait. We're not very patient people. We want it our way right away, and we want it right now. So as we move into this Advent season next week, one of the things that we reflect on is not only the fact that God's people were waiting for the Deliverer to come, but we now have that same anticipation of his second Advent, of his return, when he comes back to make everything right. This last chapter of Revelation brings the words of Jesus back into our focus. And you may, I, I tried to pause in the reading of it. If, you're, if your Bible, uh, this is one of those places where the red letter edition, I think, is helpful. <laughs> uh, because if, if you don't have it, then you, you're, you're kind of, it's back and forth between John speaking and Jesus speaking. And so uh, I think the red letter is a little helpful there to see that distinction. But when you hear the voice of Jesus, he says, I am coming. And he says, I am coming soon three times in this passage. It's clearly a theme of the closing words of Revelation. Jesus is to return. As we wait, there's a tension. We talk about this a lot between the now and the not yet. We know that Christ is done. He is finished. He is accomplished. He is with us. He's established his kingdom. And yet, it's not yet consummated. It's not yet fully realized. Jesus reigns and his kingdom is here, but not yet in fullness until he comes back. Sin was defeated upon the cross, but is not yet eradicated from our lives until he returns. Death was conquered, but not yet finally removed until he comes again. And so while we know that on the cross, Jesus spoke and said, it is finished, we long for his soon return when the Father will say, It is done. 
and we will realize the consummation of all of his promises. Now we know in part, then we will know in full. Now we see through faith, then we will see with our eyes. Now we have hope, then we will fully receive all that is ours in Jesus. Vern Poitras writes this, Revelation is designed not only to assure us of God's final purposes, but also to increase our longing for him and the realization of his purpose. The sureness of that final bliss comforts the saints during times of temptation and persecution. It purifies our desires by directing them to God and his glory. We get so tripped up in the book of Revelation. We're trying to figure out details. We want answers. We want the road map. And we see, and I hope you have seen throughout the study, that the the purpose is to show us the exalted, conquering Lamb and to root our hope in Him, to be encouraged by the sureness of all that He has accomplished, that He will return, and to comfort one another with these words. I mentioned last week that the vision John was having, the final vision that he uh, had of the bride of Christ descending, pictured as a city, continues into chapter 22. Let's pick up there in verse 1. This symbol continues uh, here describing what John saw. In verse 1, the angel shows him this river of life that flows from the very throne of God. The river is something that we see in Scripture. We see it all the way back in Eden. There was a river that flowed through Eden to water the garden, Genesis 2.10. The psalmist talks about the river that is in heaven. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, Psalm 46. Ezekiel speaks of the heavenly river in Ezekiel 47. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, spoke of the life-giving water that is also described, describing the Spirit's work in us. Remember Jesus when he spoke to the woman at the well. He says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so you have this idea that the life that, that, that God has given, pictured in Eden, life-giving source in, 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 in water, that's how it's symbolized, Of course, all that changed when sin entered the world. Now, through his people, by the power of his spirit, we become springs of living water that he uses to share his grace with the world around us. But what's being described here in heaven is the face-to-faceness that we will gain access to and that we will be in the river of life. We will know it in its fullness. That's what's being captured in this heavenly picture. Jesus, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, when he was in Jerusalem, stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the Spirit in us becomes a river of living water. We only know it in part right now but we will know it in full as we experience the eternal life of living water flowing from God. And it waters the tree of life as we see in verse 2. The tree of life, another symbol that takes us back to Eden. And Eden and the new heavens and the new earth are so closely tied together. In the new heavens and the new earth, we will benefit from its never-ending fruit, this tree of life, because we will never die. We will never suffer 
we will never experience sorrow again. It says that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And this points to the fact that the gospel is for all nations. We will join with people from every tribe and tongue around the world in praising our God who has fulfilled the promise given to Abraham. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That reality is ours because of Christ's finished work on our behalf that we will finally be face-to-face with our God. And the proof of this hope is that he has saved us and has written his name on our foreheads, verse 4. Now, we've talked about this before. This isn't the first time it's mentioned. This points us back even to tabernacle worship when uh, the priest had the name of God written on his, the, the, the turban or the hat that he would wear. And I hope that you've seen through our study that these marks that are on both the people of God and the people who reject God are not tattoos, they're not chips planted below the skin, they're not credit cards, they're not anything that you could accidentally take. The mark of God and the mark of the beast are indication whether you are by faith trusting in Christ or not. And for all of you who are trusting in Christ, he has placed his mark on your forehead. You are his. He has signified you are his. And the mark of the beast will never be upon you. Because he will not lose one of all who have been given to him by the Father. We will never again walk in darkness, verse 5, for he will be our light. And it says that we will reign with him forever and ever. This may be one of the hardest truths that I have to really believe. (laughs) Reign with God? How is that even possible? What does that look like? Well, Adam was given the charge to rule and reign over the earth in the garden, and he failed. And we have continued to fail in our own sin. And yet, the promise that is ours is a royal inheritance. That is what awaits us. Bruce Milne writes, Humanity will again raise their heads and stand tall in God's presence and in his world. The wretch will ascend the throne. The rebel will reign. The condemned will be crowned. God's promise is true, and the benefits to us are certain. We will reign with him. Beginning in verse 6 and to the end is this epilogue. And that's where I mentioned it's kind of helpful to have the the red letters because you can see who's speaking a little more clearly. Uh, But this is several summarizing statements that kind of wrap up the book of Revelation. And in an effort to get through all of them, I'm just going to try and summarize each one. We're not going to have time to to take a deep dive. But they're summarizing statements. These are all things that we have seen and unpacked already. The first message the angel gives concerns the trustworthiness of this letter. We've seen this. It is trustworthy and true because it is a message from God through the angel to the prophet John. In Revelation, Jesus is called faithful and true. He's called the faithful witness. And John receives and records this true message from the faithful witness. And now we witness or give testimony to this testimony throughout the age. To Christ and to the good news of his gospel. In verse 7, Christ words to us where he announces his soon return. This is the first of three. He emphasizes it by repeating it two more times. And with this promise also comes a beatitude or a blessing. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We know that the book is prophetic. We've looked at this. It's explained in, in, in the very opening words of Revelation. It is both foretelling and forthtelling. 
It tells us not only what is to come in the future, but it also exhorts us in our own current day. It speaks prophetically into our lives. And the exhortation is repeated here to obey, to keep the words of this book, to overcome by faith in the overcomer. Fix your eyes on Jesus and trust him. In verses 8 and 9, John testifies to his personal witness. This is his kind of witness stand moment. I'm telling the truth. I saw these things. I heard and saw them, he says. And yet in the middle of his, this is the second time John's done this. What does he do? He, he blunders, doesn't he? He, he makes the mistake. He falls before the angel. He's, I, I, I think he gets wrapped up in the experience of this incredible good news. And he falls before the angel. And the angel's quick to correct him. And he exhorts him and us, worship God. I think this is a timely reminder for us in our own day and age, a day of celebrity Christians, that we don't misplace our adoration. While it is true, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news, we must never be allured to worship the messenger over the God of the message. In verses 10 and 11 come the command that this book is not to be sealed up. What does this mean? Well, this is likely an allusion to Daniel. Daniel was told to seal up his book in Daniel 12. You have seeing how throughout the book of Revelation, when we come to things that we don't understand, we don't try and make sense of it on our own, we go to Scripture to understand what these things mean. And so we've looked back at a number of the prophets. Revelation is tied to the Old Testament prophets and to the Old Testament as a whole intricately. You can't understand Revelation without understanding the Old Testament. This is another example. The reason is given that this must not be sealed for the time is near. So by contrast, Daniel's message was sealed up uh, because the, the, the history of Revelation had not yet fully been understood. But when Jesus came and inaugurated his kingdom in his first advent, now all of a sudden Daniel's prophecy begins to make more sense, doesn't it? This unfolding of redemptive history and Jesus' coming gives insight into Daniel's prophet, prophecy that we can now better understand what he was telling With this comes this somewhat perplexing command in verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. There are a number of explanations. I'm not going to take the time to explain all of them. I'm just going to tell you the right one. Uh, I'm I'm just going to tell you the one that I think is the most compelling. Uh, And this, again, comes from Vern Poitras. He says, if people do not repent when they hear the word of God, it increases their hardness. And we see this in Scripture again and again, don't we? We see this in Pharaoh and the story of Exodus, and we see this in others. He goes on, if hearing revelation does not change one's course of life, it fixes one more firmly to one's present course on whichever side of the battle that he may be. And so that's what this is describing. That if our hearts, hearts are hard toward God, we will continue to walk in evil, to be filthy, as this describes. And, of course, this is a call to those who have not heard the gospel call to listen and to respond. Verse 12 brings us to the second of Christ's pronouncements, I am coming soon, and with this he adds, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. With that he adds his name. And his character, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The judgment, as we have seen throughout this book, is sure 
because God is eternally sovereign. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And because He was and is and forever will be, He will ensure that the judgment that's prophesied here will come. For those who have not trusted Christ, they will receive the just penalty of their sins. They will not be judged more harshly nor less harshly. They will get exactly what they deserve. We who are believers, deserve the same thing. We deserve to be judged for our sins. And yet because of God's mercy in Christ, those of us who are trusting Him, we receive the benefits of His obedience on our behalf. His righteousness is credited to us. His works become the replacement of our works. So we're not earning it. We can't contribute to it. We don't add one iota to what Christ has accomplished. His accomplishment is ours, is sufficient, and will accomplish all that it intends. That thought continues into verse 14, where we read another blessing for those whose robes have been washed by the blood of the conquering lamb. These are the ones who now may eat of the tree of life and have access into the gates of the city. We see those who have rejected Christ remain outside because of their uncleanness. It's a picture of hell. They will not even be able to enter into the presence of God. But you and I have been cleansed if we are resting in Christ's perfect atonement. Again, in verse 16, Jesus speaks as the faithful witness who sent this message through the angel to his church, including the seven churches in Asia Minor, and to us today. This message is for us as well. Jesus is here described both as the root and the descendant of David. That he is both the source and the fulfillment of the promise given to David to have an everlasting kingdom. He came not in glory, but in humility. As the prophet Isaiah called him the stump of Jesse. You guys, most of you have all heard the story of my accidentally cutting down the walnut tree when I was a teenager. Dad specifically told me not to cut down the walnut tree, but when he came home from work, it was barely a stump. I mean, it was... it was, And yet, that stump has grown into the largest walnut tree on his property. Even so, Jesus came humbly as the stump of Jesse to fulfill the promise that he, David, would have a kingdom that lasts forever and ever. There would be no end. In verse 17, we read the call to come from the Spirit and the church. And when we read this, it's a little confusing because we wonder, is this a call for Christ to return? Or is it a call to unbelievers to repent and believe? Is it a call to salvation? And there are a number of good arguments on both sides by people that I respect. I see it as both. I see it as this statement that kind of blooms open like a flower. Uh, In the beginning, it's the call for Christ's return. And because He will certainly return, it blooms into a call for others to trust and believe that Jesus is coming soon. Repent and believe. The call alludes back to the prophet Isaiah who spoke saying, Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? Because it's been paid for. The free offer of the gospel in Christ is a call to all who hear, come and freely receive the grace of God in Jesus by faith alone in Him. 
In verse 18, we see a warning of how we are to approach the book of Revelation, not adding to, not taking away anything that is in it. Throughout the series of this study, we have kept one of the Beatitudes in front of us. It's in the bulletin. Uh, It's been there every week. It's Revelation 1-3. And I've put it there for a number of reasons, but hopefully now you see that these opening words of of the book of Revelation come back, in a sense, in the end. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so here now we have this warning not to take away, uh, not to add to anything that is here. The blessing is ours when we hear and we obey, but it is not ours if we deny it or take away from it uh, what it says by disobeying what it says. That's what he's getting at. The call is simple. Believe in the one whose revelation this book is. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Believe in him. The third utterance of Jesus, I am coming soon, appears in verse 20. And here he replaces the the word of announcement, behold. That's what he said in the first two utterances. This third time he says, surely. So he goes from a word of announcement to a word of certainty. Surely I am coming soon. A message of comfort to his readers, to his flock, that the conquering shepherd is certainly coming. And we are called to hear his voice and know of our sure hope of heaven. The final words of Revelation, and indeed of all all of Scripture, are words of benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Every week in our service, we close our time with a benediction that I speak over us. A benediction is simply a good word. Benediction, you can do the Latin there pretty easily. A good word given to us from God. I usually read something that is straight from Scripture. If not, it's something that's clearly taught in Scripture that is pronounced over us. A truth that we can cling to. A truth that we need to hear. Whether it praises God for who He is or speaks directly to us. And here, the good word from God, the closing benediction of His inerrant word to all of us is... I declare grace to you. Grace, that favor, that blessing, the kindness of our God that flows from his love toward us. It is unearned and is frankly undeserved. And that's what makes it what it is, that it is grace. Because of his great love, he gives to us grace. And those are the words that ring in our ears. Do we want more answers Do we want more details? Would we love to have a roadmap to the end? Of course. All of us would love to know that. But that's not the message of Revelation. Yes, there are details given. We know some things that are going to happen. We know what to look out for. But there's no roadmap. There's no, no man knows the day or the hour. How could there be? Over and over again, John is writing to encourage these fledgling churches in Asia Minor and to encourage us. I've taken you to the passages that Paul got into eschatology, and he concludes each of them with, I write these words to comfort you, or comfort each other with these words. This is why that we are reassured of the hope that Jesus is coming soon, to comfort us, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't get distracted by what we see happening, that we wouldn't lose heart by, and, and, and grow, grow discouraged because of life and its circumstances that there is a reality and a hope that is coming that will make all that is wrong right, that will fix all that is broken. And it is all ours 
by grace. We don't add to it. We don't contribute to it. We don't accomplish it. It's a free gift. I want to close today with the words of Horatius Bonar in a hymn that he wrote. Listen to these words. Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to Thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. I praise the God of grace. I trust His truth and might. He calls me His. I call Him mine. My God, my joy, my light. Tis He who saveth me and freely pardon gives. I love because He loveth me. I live because He lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the life that You have given to us in Christ. And we thank You for the life to come that we we anticipate, we long for. And yet, until that time comes, may we rest in the truthfulness of the message of the book of Revelation. May we rest in the assurance of your Spirit's presence in us as a pledge of what is to come. May we rest in the sure hope that you have been raised from the dead. That we too will walk in that same newness of life forever. Never again to face death. Never again to know sin. Never again to mourn or suffer. Lord, encourage us with these words. Fill our hearts with hope that we may know what awaits us so that we are steadfast and unmovable, that we do not lose heart or grow faint or become weary in this life. But Lord, keep our eyes fixed on the sure anchor of our soul, our Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.